Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We praise you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you that though, again, it was written, in this case, several thousand years ago, Lord, that it still applies to us today. And Lord, even the word and the, and the exhortation that came to, to the Pharaoh, Father God, may it minister to us and be an exhortation to us that our hearts would not be hardened the way that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And Lord, we just thank you for this word. I thank you for each person who's here tonight. Lord, just bless them, encourage them. Let them know that you love them so very much, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. By the way of review, real quick, in the book of Exodus, which we started about eight or nine weeks ago, typically go through about a chapter a week, we saw that Israel had been in bondage for over 400 years. They were in bondage because of their disobedience to the Lord. And during that 400-year time that they were in bondage in Egypt, there, we saw that basically there was total silence. We don't know, you know, we know that they're in bondage, we know they're outside of God's will, and we know that God had promised that He would bring a deliverer. We know that there was a, a young boy by the name of Moses, as we looked in the first, two, first few chapters, who was born there. But then be, when he was born there, there was a, a decree that went out that all the newborn babies would be put to death, much like what happened with Jesus when He was born. And we know that Pharaoh, or that that he ended up growing up in Pharaoh's house. And after growing up in the Pharaoh's house, after 40 years, we know that he was banished after killing a Hebrew in defense of an Israelite. He was banished into the wilderness. The Lord had then appeared to him in a burning bush and said, I am that I am. He commissioned him to go back and to free the people. We know that when he got back, that the, initially, Moses' response would probably be much like our response when God calls us to do things. He started off by saying, well, I can't do it. I'm a stutterer. I'm not worthy. I, you know, I'm a, I can't do it. I'm just a, a shepherd out here in the backside of the wilderness. I've been here for 40 years, and Lord, you couldn't possibly use me. And the Lord continued to show him signs and, and you know, drop your stick on the ground and turn into a serpent and put your hand in your bosom and bring it out and it had leprosy. And he turned water into blood right in front of his eyes. And he said, look, I want you to go and I want you to, I'm going to be with you. And that's the real key in when it comes to being called by God. Know that you're not alone. Know that God's going to be with you. So Moses goes back and when he appears to Pharaoh, the reception he gets is not good. In chapter 5, it said that when he, when he appeared before Pharaoh, Pharaoh responded to him and he said, your, your God has called me, he told me to come and you are to let his people go. And Pharaoh's response was, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Who is this Lord you're talking about? And we have to realize that in Egypt at the time, they had many, 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 many gods, dozens of gods. Pharaoh himself was considered to be a god by the Egyptian people. And so when he said, the Lord has commanded you, he said, who's the Lord? He looked at the people of Israel. He saw that they were all in bondage. He said, your God must not be anything real special because look at your people. And the same is true today. People will determine what kind of God we serve based upon looking at us. If our lives are, you know, we look like we've been sucking on a lemon all the time and we're bummed out walking around and looking sad, then our God must not be all that great. Amen? But if we have the joy of the Lord, as we should, as new creations in Christ, then people are going to want to know about the God that we serve. And so last week we saw how Pharaoh resisted the will of God and it resulted in judgment. He said, I don't, I don't know who this Lord is, I'm not going to obey. And so Moses comes back and the first thing that we saw in chapter 7 last week is he came in and God commanded him to take his staff and throw it down and it became a serpent. And we know that in came the magicians who worked with Pharaoh and they threw their sticks down and they became serpents as well. But we know that the end result was that Moses' serpent swallowed up the serpents of Pharaoh's magicians. And it was a picture of the fact that our God is truly dominant. And while other people can try to imitate God, there is only one true and living God. Then we saw the very first plague. And the very first plague was that all the water was turned to blood. And what's interesting about that is, it's a picture of judgment. It's a picture of the fact that only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ may we be saved. 
The very first plague was water into blood, and Jesus' very first miracle was water into wine. You water into blood. Moses, is, it says from the time of Moses, he's, he represents the law. And the law points to judgment. But then we see in Jesus Christ, it points to grace and to truth. That every man who was under the law and under judgment was set free through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So we saw that, that again, that the first plague came, that there was blood throughout the land, that they had no water to drink, that all the fish died. This was a horrific event. And the judgment came, why? Because Pharaoh would not heed the word of the Lord. Sin has consequences. Amen? You know what? Our God is a loving and a gracious and a merciful God, and He paid for our sin, but sin still has consequences. So tonight we're going to look at the next three plagues, and I titled tonight's message, God's Judgment Upon a Hardened Heart. We're going to see a plague with frogs, a plague with lice, and a plague with flies. You know what, I, I'm, I don't have major problems with insects, but I don't think I'd want a whole lot of any of those three things hanging out of my house. And we're going to see some heavy-duty examples of that tonight. And we're going to see how God is going to use that. God's judgment upon a hardened heart. So let's begin in verse 1, and we're going to look at this plague of the frogs. Verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Now again, here's a picture of God's grace. At this moment... The, there are seven days of no water, seven days of torment of all the people of Egypt because all the water had turned to blood. There was a stench in the land for seven days. And at the end of that time, here comes Moses giving Pharaoh yet another opportunity to repent, yet another opportunity to let the people go. And when he shows up, he comes before him and he says to him, let my people go. And Pharaoh's response is going to be similar to the first time. You know, it's interesting to me that today only those who refuse to heed the Lord's word of love, grace, and patience, His, His word of calling us to repentance, will face divine judgment. Judgment is for those who reject God. Nobody will go to hell that doesn't run over the cross of Christ to get there. Jesus desires that none should perish, no, not one. The Bible says that He died for all, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But there are those who will reject God over and over and over and over and over. You know, I believe, especially in this country, that the people that live here their entire life will have rejected God hundreds if not thousands of times in their lifetime. He comes to them daily. I love you. Rocks cry out his name. Creation cries out his name. He's coming to Pharaoh once again, and Pharaoh's response is not going to be in the affirmative. Look at verse 2. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. Now, it's interesting that the word for frog in Hebrew means to depart early or to repent. So he says, you know what? If you do not allow my people to go, then I'm going to curse you with frogs. And the word for frog, again, means to depart early. Now, it's interesting also to note that Egyptians esteemed frogs highly. Now, that cracks me up, but, I mean, can you imagine living in a country where you esteem frogs highly? But they esteem frogs highly. People would walk around with little uh, pendants with frogs on them in Egypt. And so they had a high view of frogs, probably like cows in India today, right? You know, cows are, people are starving to death, and cows are walking around, and people won't kill them. Why? Because that might be grandpa. They believe in reincarnation, and they, just, they, they esteem cows highly. So cows are walking down the street, and children are starving to death. Something's wrong with this picture. Well, the people in Egypt highly esteemed frogs. And they, there was a frog god named Haket, and it was a form of a woman with a frog's head. And it was supposed to be, this was supposed to be the being that, that brought forth the breath of life. And so they highly honored this god. 
It's one of many false gods. When frogs were croaking in the river and pools of water, it signaled that the gods had once again made the land fertile. And as these sacred animals, these frogs, they were not allowed to kill them intentionally. Now the frogs at the same time were actually a blessing in a way because the frogs would eat all the bugs. This is a fertile land. They didn't have pesticides in those days. So the frogs would be out there and the frogs would kill the bugs so that their food would grow. And so the frogs were actually a blessing. And they were actually a pleasure to Egypt. And it's interesting to note that what was once a pleasure to them would soon become a plague. You know what? Everything in moderation, the Bible says. And so often the things that we find pleasure in can one day and soon become a plague. And we're going to look at that as we look at the next few verses. Look at verse 3. So all the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your servants, on on your people, into your ovens, and into your kneading bowls. Now, notice that the plague was inescapable. When God's judgment comes, it comes upon all men. So this means there was no place to sleep, there was no place to eat, you couldn't open up the oven without frogs jumping out. It says the frogs were on the people. Can you imagine that? Some of you ladies would probably really like that, wouldn't you? But you know what? The amazing thing is, we don't know how big these frogs were. Because frogs, I looked it up, there's 2,000 species of frogs. And they can be as small as half an inch, even smaller than that. And then frogs are up to a foot without their legs, man, their bodies up to 12 inches. So these could have been some big whopping frogs, I don't know. They could have been little frogs. But in any case, these, this thing that once brought blessing to the land was now bringing heartache. This thing that one brought, once brought pleasure to them was now bringing destruction. And here we see a very clear picture of sin. Because the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season. Amen? You know what? Let's, let's face it. For our flesh, sin is fun. Right? Why do people sin? Because for their flesh... It's fun. I want to go sin. It's fun. I like to go drink and party with my friends. I like to, you know, do the... And and the world in your flesh, sin is pleasurable for a season. But you know what? Sin soon becomes a plague. Because when sin begins, it begins small typically. But then it grows and it becomes a very destructive instrument. You know, sin is not bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. A lot of people think that, well, because God forbid it, then we probably shouldn't do it. The reality is because God loves us and He knows it will destroy us, that He forbids us to do it. The analogy I use all the time, I don't let my kids play on the freeway. Not because I'm a no-fun bummer dad, but because I love my kids and I know it will bring them great harm if they play on the freeway for very long. Amen? And so the Lord is the same way with sin. He doesn't, it's sin is not bad because it's forbidden. It is forbidden because it's bad, because he knows it will bring harm to us. Let me give you some examples of this. Sex outside of marriage. What are the results? One, it breaks the relationship that God had preordained for you before the foundation of the world, that man or that woman you're to spend the rest of your life with. Along with that, there are consequences. Things like AIDS, sexually transmitted diseases. Abortion is an outpouring of this. Broken families if it's an adulterous relationship. This pleasure becomes a plague. Why? Because it's outside of God's will. What about alcohol and drugs? Well, ultimately, it leads to addiction. It can. Liver disease, drunk driving, broken families, lost jobs, financial ruin. What began as a pleasure became a plague. Every sin that I do without exception is going to bring harm to me. Every single sin. Every one. Now, it may not bring as great a harm as it might because of the grace of God, and I am forgiven, but sin still has consequences. Amen? And no Christian ever looks back and says, man, I wish I'd have sinned a little more. You know, I mean, you know, I, I wish I had just, you know, done a little more of that when I was younger. It's usually, oh man, I wish I'd done a lot less of that. Amen? Why? Because we realize that all it brings is destruction to our lives. 
While all my sin has been paid for, it still has consequences. And don't be deceived. The Bible says that which a man sows, that he will also reap. Quite often, sin looks like a prince and it's really a frog. Amen? And that's what this is right here. Bunch of frogs. Can you imagine? All these frogs are in your house or in your bed. You can't sleep. You're laying in bed. Frogs are jumping on your head. Right? I mean, frogs, slimy frogs all over your house. And, and, you know, again, frogs, they used to think frogs were good. And here's the funny part. It was, they were not allowed to kill the frogs because they considered them to be a deity. So now they got frogs everywhere and they can't kill them. I'd be like, I'd be like walking around with some big boots on, right? You know what I mean? Go after the frogs, kill them. Be like, oh, man, that, oh, that's the, oh, that, you know, that's the fer- fertility god. We can't be stepping on the frogs. So now these frogs are everywhere. What a disaster. And why did this happen? Because Pharaoh would not heed the word of God. The pleasures of sin become a plague, and when we reject God's word, we can, we're going to face consequences. Verse 5, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and said to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, and cause the frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, over the, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. So while Moses and, and Aaron were the tools God used, this was God's judgment upon ungodly nation that refused to heed his word. What does that sound like? It sounds like the United States to me. We're, we're an ungodly nation that refuses to heed God's word. Praise the Lord for the remnant. Amen? Praise the Lord that there are people here who love God. But people talk about us being a godly nation. I'm sorry. Open the newspaper and tell me we're a godly nation. Look, at the, look what's going on around us. Man, this place needs Jesus so bad. Amen? And we're called to be salt and light to a lost in a dying world. And praise the Lord that we have an opportunity to be that. But look what happens next. So Aaron, they stretched out his hand and they covered the land of Egypt. So now there's frogs everywhere. Now remember, what did Pharaoh say when he first met Moses? Who is the Lord? Well, now he's had a bloody river for seven days and a bunch of dead fish, and now he's got frogs everywhere he looks. He might be thinking, hey, there might be something to this Lord thing. But he still isn't quite convinced, because look at verse 7. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. Now that's great. we got too many frogs, so let's call in the counselors and then bring up some more frogs. You know what this tells me? That when we turn to the world in times of difficulty, all it does is make things worse. Amen? When you run to ungodly counsel, when you're going through a difficult time of life, all it's going to do is make things worse. The Bible says, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. I've said this before. The people that don't know God are dead in their trespasses and sins. Why would I ask their advice? I wouldn't, it would make as much sense as me going down to the morgue and pulling those drawers open with a dead body in there and saying, so what do you think I ought to do with my finances? I need a little help. I mean, it's just as insane because the Bible says they're dead in their trespasses and sins, yet we turn to the world for counsel. And when you turn to the world, it only makes things worse. So he goes, oh, okay, there's frogs. Get those magicians in here. The magicians come in, more frogs. Thanks a lot. That helped. Right? Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. You're not going to get any help from the world. The world has no answers. Turn to the Lord. He is the only true counselor. He's the mighty counselor. Verse 8. Then Pharaoh called for Moses. It's about time. Well, wait a minute. Okay, who's the Lord? Oh, blood. Oh, wait a minute. No water to drink. Oh, dead fish everywhere. Frogs everywhere. I called the magicians in. More frogs. Oh, that's not the answer. Maybe I ought to at least listen to this Moses guy right about now. So he calls Moses and Aaron and says, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. So what is it that drove Pharaoh 
to at least discussing things. He's not saying, who's the Lord anymore? Have you noticed that? It reminds me of the story in Daniel, where Nebuchadnezzar said, who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Remember that? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel chapter 3. They said when the music plays, everybody bows to the false god, the god that's built in a representation of Nebuchadnezzar. And if you don't bow, we're throwing you in the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were governors. These guys were high level. And when they didn't bow, everybody ran to Nebuchadnezzar and said, hey, guess what? Three of your main guys didn't bow. He calls them in and said, if you don't bow this time, you're going in the fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Well, the next sentence that he said, after they got thrown in the fire and the guys who threw them in got scorched, and he looks in and he says, wait a minute, didn't we put three in? And they were bound, and now we see four, and one is in the likeness of the Son of God. Come out, come out, ye servants of the Most High God. He went from, who is the God that will deliver you out of my... Come out, come out, ye servants of the Most High God. What happened? Jesus is what happened. Amen? That uh, God revealed himself in the midst of a difficult time. And here's Pharaoh, finally, he's not saying who's the Lord anymore, but he is calling Moses in. But we're going to see that his heart is still hard. The word entreat there, it means beg. Beg of the Lord. From who is the Lord? To beg of the Lord. Difficulties in unbelievers' life are not always, matter of fact, they're never a bad thing. Why? Because God will use it to draw people unto himself. Amen? I got a call from a lady today while I was in the church office. Most of you know I work full-time, but today I happen to be in the office studying. I got a call from a lady, and her name's Betty. Pray for her. Her 16-year-old daughter was just found dead in downtown Santa Cruz. And just devastating. And they found the, the date rape drug in her and alcohol and all this stuff. And the girl was 16 years old. And it was the middle of the afternoon on a school day. And she was found down by a hotel in downtown Santa Cruz. And you know, at the same, as, as tragic as that was, which is extremely tragic, and I even told her, I can't even begin to understand what you're going through. I cannot even begin to relate. But at the same time, it truly was an opportunity for me to minister to her. Because she opened up the phone book and she just called around wanting to talk to a pastor. I need to talk to somebody. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. And here's Pharaoh. He's at the point now where he's tried the counselors. He's tried the world. And he says, man, get Moses in here and beg of the Lord and see if he can get rid of these frogs. They're killing me. Something's got to change. Difficulties in life will point people to the Lord. And so, so often when we see people going through struggles, say, that's an opportunity for the gospel. Amen? It's an opportunity for me to go and minister to that person. Before it's over, the Bible says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we see Pharaoh here going from who is the Lord to beg of the Lord. Verse 9, And Moses said to Pharaoh, Accept the honor of saying, When I shall intercede for you, for your servants, for your people, to destroy the frogs from you and your houses, that they may remain in the river only. Now, he says to him, You have the honor of deciding what time you want this all to go away. I'm going to give you the honor of choosing when you want this difficulty to disappear. And this answer that he gives blows my mind. If there were thousands of frogs in my house, and I couldn't sleep, and I couldn't lay down, and I couldn't eat, and I couldn't walk, can you imagine the racket from thousands of frogs in your house? Can you imagine what the city sounded like? Right? I mean, just frogs everywhere, you couldn't sleep. I'd be thinking, like, yesterday, how about yesterday would be good for me, right? Get rid of them now. And he comes to him and says, I'm going to allow you to choose. And here's what he says. Look at verse 10. He said, tomorrow. Tomorrow? What do you mean tomorrow? You know what I believe is the case here? Pharaoh is still hoping that somebody else will provide the answer. 
Before Moses has to call and, and bring them all out, there's got to be another way. There's got to be another plan. I don't want to have to admit that the Lord is God. I said, who is the Lord? we got hundreds of gods here. Let me round up all the gods. Let's bring all the idols and the gods in here. Let's see if someone else has an answer. Tomorrow. Let's just do it tomorrow. Pharaoh responds, overrun by intense plague, doesn't ask for immediate relief. You know what? It's interesting to me that this is a great application for us today from this. Many times I'll talk to somebody and they'll be struggling with something heavily in their life. Maybe the amount of time you spend on your computer and some of the stuff you're looking at on your computer or the TV shows that you watch or you're in some relationship that you know is not from the Lord or you know that your house isn't in order and things need to change. But then your response is, when you know you're supposed to do something about it, I'll do it tomorrow. You know, tomorrow. Next week. Next year. Next time. Not yet. I want one more day with this. I want to hang on to this for a little while longer. I want to hold on to this. I can't let go of it. And that's the way Pharaoh was. He didn't want to be immediately touched. Lord, I know it's wrong. I know it needs to change. But Lord, change it tomorrow. The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Moses' focus was on Pharaoh knowing. Look what Moses said in verse 10. He says this. He said tomorrow, and he said, let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. So while Pharaoh is trying to to keep from having to turn to the Lord, all Moses is trying to do is point Pharaoh to the Lord. You notice that? Pharaoh doesn't want anything to do with the Lord, and all Moses' heart is, I want you to know that the Lord is God. I remember I had a friend in Southern California several years ago. I used to always talk to him about the Lord, and he really didn't want to hear it. Some of you I've shared this story with before. He found out his dad was diagnosed with cancer. And I started, and I went by his desk, and he was weeping. A guy I'd never seen show any emotion was weeping, and he found his dad was dying of cancer. And I said, can I pray for your dad? He said, oh, yeah, that'd be great. I'd love you to. The first time I've ever seen a soft side to this guy. And then I said to him, Mark, I will pray for your dad. I promise you every single day. When I go back to my church tonight, I'll tell everybody there to pray. I'll tell the youth group to pray, men's study to pray. We'll all be praying. I said, I'm only going to ask you one thing. If the Lord, in his infinite mercy, chooses to heal your father, that you give God alone the glory. Mark said, if he heals my dad, I'll believe. Now, most of you know the story that God did heal his dad, and he still didn't believe. But the point is that that's what we need to do. We need to be pointing people into the Lord to say, if God does it, to God alone be all the glory. Amen? And that's exactly what Moses was doing. Verse 11. And the frogs shall depart from you, and from your houses, from your servants, from your people, and they shall remain in the river only. So if you have the frogs in the right place, it's a blessing. Amen? And the same is true of a physical relationship. In marriage, it's a good thing. Outside of marriage, it's disastrous. Our finances in the right way are a good thing. Our finances out of order is a disaster. I relate it to fire. If you have fire in a fireplace, it keeps your house warm. You can cook by it. It's wonderful. You take that same fire and you put it in the drapes and you got a problem, right? Your house burns to the ground. And so the point is that the frogs in the river is good. Frogs in my dinner bowl, that's not good. Frogs in my oven, frogs in my room, frogs in my house, it's not good. And the Bible tells us very clearly that God has such a perfect plan for us. And we need to make sure that we don't allow blessings to turn into plagues, to pleasures of this life to turn into plagues as they become more important to us than they should be. Verse 12. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which, we had, which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyards, out of the fields. Now, the word was spoken, the frogs died. The magicians came in, more frogs. 
Word spoken, frogs died. So when we need counsel, where should we go? We go to the world, we got more frogs. We go to the Lord, the word of the Lord, what happens? Goes away. Amen? So where should we find our counsel? In the word. Find it in the Lord. The Bible says that his grace is sufficient, that he has all the answers we need for hope and for life. No sorcerer or worldly counselor could rid the Egyptians of their frogs. It only added to their problem, but the word of the Lord transformed it. Verse 14. They gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. I guess so. Can you imagine how all the frogs got gathered together, right? They all died. Now you got a bunch of dead frogs, right? Now you got a direct. And this is so typical. It's like a picture of sin. Because quite often, when the sin is over, now the frogs are dead, but it's still not done. There's still more consequences left, right? Now you've got to go out, and I don't think they had shovels back then, so I don't know what they did. But they went out and scooped up all these frogs and stuck them out and put them in a big heap, big frog heap, which would be a constant reminder as they walked by. Oh, man, we don't want to have that happen again. And, and, you know, and, and can you imagine the smell? And do you know what? Sin stinks. Amen? It brings a, a raunch aroma to your house. It brings a raunch aroma to everything in life. And you know what? It's interesting to me that smelling is the greatest memory inducer of all of our senses. It's funny. There's certain things that if I smell it, it brings me back. Every time I smell freshly mown grass, I'm back playing Pop Warner or high school football again. Because whenever I played football, you go out there and the grass is wet and you roll around in it all day and you smell like wet grass all day, right? So every time I get around freshly mown grass, oh, football, right? And you know what? You see many places in the Word of God where, where God uses smell. Like, for example, when, when Peter was standing around the fire and he denied the Lord three times. There's a word there, anthrokia, that means hot coal fire. And it's only used one other time in the whole Bible. Hot coal, have you, have you ever smelled hot coal before? It's got a very distinct smell. And the only other time it's used in the entire Bible is when Jesus is at the shore with Peter later. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Three times. And he says, feed my sheep. You Remember that? Well, he denied him three times. He's standing over the fire. He has that smell. You know that was burnt into his mind where he was when he smelled that the first time. And now the second time he smells it, it takes him right back to where he denied the Lord. But this time, he gets to say, Lord, you know I love you three times. That's the grace of God. Amen? But when they walked by those, it was a constant stench in Egypt. It was a reminder of the, the fact that pleasure can become a plague if we do not repent. But yet, even though the stench is still there, we're going to see that Pharaoh does not turn away from his sin. But when the Pharaoh saw, verse 15, that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. So what was his response? The frogs are gone. The frog problem is gone. Did he repent? Did he worship the Lord? Did he cry out with thanksgiving? No, he had a hardened heart. He was relieved because the problem was gone. I got away with it. How many of you ever done that before? You're in, the mix, you're in the middle of something and you're in huge trouble. Lord, just please, Lord, get me out of this, right? And then he gets you out of it and you just go right back to the way you were living before. All of us, amen? I mean, everybody, right? Oh, Lord, if you just please, this is one time, right? And the Lord gets you, oh, and then you just go right back to living the way you lived before. That God's cheapening the grace of God, amen? I remember a young couple one time when I was in youth group came in and, and they thought that, she, that he was 16, she was 15, and they thought she was pregnant. I'm like, well, I've got to touch your parents. You know, oh, no, Pastor Dave, not our parents. You know, they just wanted to, you know, and you know, sure enough, it found out, they found out that she wasn't actually pregnant. But you know what? Six months later, she was pregnant. I thought, you know what? You, here's, a, here's an opportunity of God's grace. Here's God. Oh, Lord, if you just, Lord, if you, uh, and then they realize, oh, I got away with that. I guess I can keep doing that. I guess I can keep falling into that sin again. I guess it's okay. But, you know, I got pulled over by the cop. He doesn't give me a ticket. Well, I guess I can keep speeding, right? I mean, sometimes God's grace, and we continue to sin because we think that there will be no consequences. The storm's over. I don't need the Lord anymore. You know what? We need the Lord all the time. 
So let's move on to the third plague. So we go from frogs to lice. Now, how many of you ever had your kids have lice or anybody in your family get lice in their hair? I know, I know the lawyers have. We had our kids get lice about a year ago. It's just wrong. Or a couple years ago. And that stuff they say you takes lice away, they lie because it doesn't work. You wash your kids' hair. We're putting peanut butter in their hair. I mean, you use every kind of different kind of thing you can put. You put all this goop and, and petroleum jelly and all this stuff. That stuff doesn't die, man. Lice are brutal. They don't die. And what's interesting, that lice to, to the Egyptians was really a major plague. And this is a plague that comes without warning. You guys are all scratching your hair out there. I mean, what's up with that? I guess you have also sight. You also have uh, uh, feeling memories too, right? Lice, oh, no good. So it's interesting to note that this plague comes without any warning. And it comes without any warning, unlike all the other plagues so far, because he had rejected the Lord's word. Look at verse 16 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth, and it became lice on man and beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. That's a lot of lice. You imagine Egypt, this is not like a paved city, right? A lot of dirt, dust. Lice. It's all lice now. All the dust is moving, right? And it's getting on people. Now, you've got to understand that they considered it a curse. And the higher caste in Egypt, like the, the, the people of great wealth, the, the priests and religious leaders, have you ever seen pictures of Egyptians? Most of the time, what do they look like? They're clean-shaven, right? They shave their heads bald. They shave their bodies. I did some study on this. They shaved every other day, they believe, their entire body. And you know what their, one of their biggest fears was? Lice. <laughs> oh, we got to shave, man. I get some lice, man. I, I, I don't know. We can't be having no hair. And so they wanted to be as clean as they could be so they would not attract this vile, you know, insect. And it's interesting to me that they were trying in their own way to pursue, you know, this cleanliness. And what does that show us? It shows us that no matter how much man tries, he can never make himself clean. Amen? Because you know what happened? The lice came anyway. Oh man, we, 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 we're mopping, glowing our head. I got no hair. I'm no hair. I'm just I'm lean, clean, man. Nothing to stick on me. And God sent the lice anyway, and they were covered in lice anyway. And that's what it says right there in the text. It says it became lice on man and beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. You cannot make yourself clean. It refu- and it also refutes the Egyptian god. They had a god of the earth named Geb. Well, he wasn't working out too well. They also had a god of they called it the, the god of dust. And guess what? The dust god wasn't helping them out much either because it all became lies. And so their gods were just dropping like a stone. They had a god of the Nile. That didn't work out. They had a god of frogs, right? They wore frog amulets. Now frogs all over the house. Then they have, you know, now they've got a god of the dust, the god of the earth. All those gods are getting refuted by the true and living God right before their very eyes. Verse 18. So here's what they do now. What does he do? Got lice everywhere. It's a total disaster. He calls from the magicians again. You want more lice? What's the deal? I mean, he, well, I brought the magicians last time. They brought me more frogs. Let me go talk to them again. Let me see if that'll work out. But here's what happens. Now, the magicians so worked with the enchantments, and that's like sorcery, to bring forth lice, like witchcraft. But they could not. So they were lice on men and on beasts. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. It's interesting to me that even these ungodly magicians recognized who was in charge. 
This is the finger of God. What's interesting to me in all the story of the plagues is the last time we see the magicians. The last thing they say is, this is the finger of God. What's interesting to me is I thought about that, the finger of God. You know, that's the same finger that would, in Exodus 31, write the Ten Commandments onto the tablets, written with the finger of God. It's the same finger that when Belshazzar was praising the God of gold, the God of gold, the God of gold, right? Worshiping the false gods. That same hand came down. You've heard the term writing on the wall. Well, that's where it came from. It came out of, out of Daniel, and it wrote right on the wall, meaning, meaning, tekel parson, which means you've been, found, you've been found wanting, you've been judged by God, you've been weighed in the balance, you've been found wanting, you've been judged by God. And today you will lose your kingdom, and that's exactly what happened. It's also the same finger when the woman was caught in adultery. And they all came surrounding her and they picked up stones to stone the woman to death. What did Jesus do? He reached down and he wrote in the sand. We don't know what he wrote for sure, but whatever he wrote convicted the guys with the stones in her hands so much that they all walked away. The finger of God, the finger of God that would bring judgment in the law, the finger of God that brought judgment upon the ungodly people in, in uh, Belshazzar's day in Babylon and these ungodly men who picked up stones to stone the woman caught in adultery. It's that very same finger. It's the finger of God. They made an actually very profound statement. But guess what? Pharaoh still wouldn't believe. Yet another opportunity and he still didn't believe. One more and we'll be done here. Verse 20. Now we're going to look at the fourth plague and this one's flies. Man, what a, rough, what a rough couple days, right? I mean, you go from frogs to lice to flies, right? Man, sounds like an uh, Asian dish, flied lice, right? But so there's flies, and then there's lice, man. And I mean, it just gets, keeps getting worse. It says in Psalm 78, verse 45, He sent swarms of flies among them, which devoured. And the word there for swarms could, rec- could be translated dog flies. And these were not just regular flies. They were flies that sucked blood. Some people even believe they might have been mosquitoes or something. But they sucked blood. So they were attacking. They weren't just a bunch of no- annoying flies, which is bad enough. But they believe it may have been flies that attacked people. It also could have been an- the type of fly that laid eggs on living things so that the larva would feast upon the host body. So, so you go from... You go, you go from uh, from frogs, then you got lice, and now you got flies. And all this because Pharaoh keeps hardening his heart. You think the people in Egypt would be like at his house whooping on him. What do you think? Amen? Dude, just let him go, okay? I mean, it's been enough already. The, the flies, the, the, oh man. And you know what? It's going to get worse. This is nothing yet. It's going to get a lot worse. Look at verse 20. And the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning, stand before Pharaoh as he comes out of the water. Thus say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go, and they may serve me. Or else, if you do not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies to you and your servants on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. So guess what? If you don't heed my words, it's going to be brutal. There's going to be flies everywhere. When it says flies on you, that's why I believe maybe that, that type of fly where they literally lay their eggs on the people. Or the ones that are biting at the people. So this is heavy duty. This is not a lot of fun. But look at verse 22. I like this. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen. Now that's where Israel was abiding. In which my people dwell. That no swarms of flies shall be there. In order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow the sign shall be. And the Lord did so. Thick 
swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, into the land of Egypt, the land of the corrupted, because of the swarms of flies. So the land became corrupt. But notice, in the midst of corruption, there was a land that was spared. And this is a picture of the fact that God brings both divine judgment and divine deliverance. Amen? For those who deny Him, it's divine judgment. For those who turn to Him and seek after Him, it's divine deliverance. Do you know the cross has an impact on every man's life? Because it's either a place of divine judgment or it's a place of divine deliverance. Amen? To the world, the Bible says that the cross is foolishness to those who are dying in their sin. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. To an unsaved world, the cross doesn't make any sense. But to those of us who have been born again, it is the most significant event in the history of all mankind when Almighty God took all the sins of mankind upon Himself and He paid the price that we could not pay that we might have eternal life. So this, this next plague was going to be divine judgment upon Egypt and divine deliverance, in a sense, for Israel, as the plague would not touch them. I believe this is also a picture of the Great Tribulation, in that when that judgment comes upon the earth, the church will be delivered out. We will not taste the judgment that is to come, because God will deliver us out of it. Look at the next verse. It says in verse 20, 25, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to the Lord your God in the land. So, Divine judgment has come. Things have gotten worse and worse and worse. Pharaoh's sin had brought corruption into the entire land. Now Pharaoh attempts to negotiate with Moses and get him to compromise. Because what had Moses told him? Let my people go that we might go out into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord. And Pharaoh comes to him in verse 25 and says, Go sacrifice to to your God in the land. He's saying, you know what, can't you just stay here? and sacrifice to God. Why don't you just stay right here and sacrifice to the Lord? Stay in the world. Be a part of the world. Serve God, your God here. Don't get too radical. You don't have to be set apart and separated. Just stay right where you are and serve God living the way you've always lived. But the Bible tells us that we are to be ye separate, to come out of the world. Amen? And I want to talk about that in just a moment. But Don't be radical about your faith, he's saying. Compromise, fit into the world, and serve your God. The Bible says friendship with the world is enmity with God. And enmity with, with, and friendship with God is enmity with the world. We are either, we're either friends of God and enemies of the world, or friends of the world and we're enemies of God. But wait, Pastor Dave, but we have to live in the world. You're right, we do. I want to talk to you about the difference between two words. Ministry and fellowship. The Bible has called us to minister to a lost and dying world, but we are not supposed to have fellowship with the world. The word fellowship means to have in common. What do I have in common with the corpse down at the morgue I was talking about earlier? Hopefully not a lot. I mean, I hope I'm not that stiff, right? I mean, I hope I'm not cold. I hope, you know, I hope that I, we don't have a lot. I hope you'd be able to say, oh yeah, there's something different between these guys. I mean, that's the way it should be in the world spiritually. We are called to, be, to minister to the world, but have no fellowship with the world. And here, he's saying, you know what? Okay, I'll let you sacrifice to your Lord, but I want you to stay right where you are. I want you to keep living the life that you're living. I don't want you to be separate. I want you to compromise. I want you to have a, a, a relationship with God out of convenience. You don't have to travel and take two million people and go out into the desert to do that with your God. Just stay where you are and go ahead and sacrifice to your God. You know what? The world, the world wants us to do the same things, right? Just be like everybody else. You know, just fit in. Come on, 
You, you don't have to be so radical. You don't have to be so sold out. You don't have to be so on fire for God. Just be like everybody else and, you know, check your Christianity at the door when you get to work. You know, you don't have to bring it up here. You know, here's the reality, you guys. We are not Christians on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. At least I hope not. Amen? We're Christians 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And you can't separate me from God. As a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in me, and He goes with me wherever I go. He walks with me, and He talks with me. Amen? He's always with me. He'll never leave me nor forsake me, and I'm certainly not going to run from Him. Amen? And so you know what? You can't separate me from God. You can't separate you from the Holy Spirit because you've been born again. So when the world tells you to leave your Christianity at the door, it's like them telling you to, to tear your body in half. It's a physical impossibility. But often, we try to compromise as not to offend the world. But the Bible says that as Christians, we will offend the world. We're going to. Let me ask you a question. If it became a federal offense to be a Christian, let's say they handed out a reward. Everybody who turns a Christian in is going to get $10,000. How many of your neighbors would be turning you in? How many of your coworkers would be turning you in? How many of your classmates would be turning you in? Would anybody know? Are you living that undercover, below-the-radar Christian life where nobody knows you're saved? That's not good, by the way. That's not a good thing. Then if they put you on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would people come, oh, man, that guy's witnessing to me all the time. Yeah, I mean, I see that their kids are praying. And, or would they say, oh, no, pretty much like the rest of the neighborhood. I hear husband and wife screaming at each other all the time. Yeah, they're pretty much like us, yeah. I see them, you know, losing their temper with their kids. And, yeah, and they're getting, yeah, they're pretty much like we are. Or are we different? The Lord has called us to be different. Amen? He didn't save us to be like the world. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. They put us on trial. Hopefully there would be tons of evidence to prove that we have a relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Go sacrifice to your God in the land. Stay here and sacrifice to Him. And Moses said, It is not right for us to do so. For we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? He says, You know what? If we stay here... The, the Egyptians looked down on, shepherd and they look, on shepherds and they looked down on sheep. And, and they were going to do what? Sacrifice a lamb. And these were shepherds that were doing it. And it would be an abomination in the sight of the world to see them sacrificing to the true and living God. And you know what? It's an abomination today in the sight of the world to see us being in love with Jesus Christ. Why? Because it brings conviction to their own heart. If you're, if you're on fire for God, they... Wait a minute. It's like shining a halogen light in a really dark room. You ever know? I don't, I don't go there, but I know this. Bars are really dark. Why? Because you go in there and you're undercover and you drink. and no one, You know, if you shine like a halogen lights in there, everybody would leave. Oh, dude, someone might see me in here, right? And here's the reality. As Christians, we're walking halogen lights. And we're sold out for God. It's like, boom, bringing a bright light in the room. And nobody likes that. Dude, turn that off, right? Why? Because we're convicting people of their sin because of the way we live our lives. When we're excited for God and we love the Lord, people don't want to hear it, man. Dial it down, dude. Get out of here, man. Leave me alone. That's why we want to take Christ out of school. That's why we want to have prayer in school. Get the Bible out of there. We can't post the Ten Commandments. People might stop killing. Thou shalt not kill. They might listen to that. We better get that off the wall. And what happens is we, we want to dial God down. And here's what's happening. Is they're, 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 he's saying, look, if we get out there in front of the people, they're going to want to stone us to death. Why? Because we're going to be an abomination in their eyes. Why? Because we're going to be serving the true and living God, and they're all dead in their trespasses and sins. You know what? We are to love the world. We are to pray for the world. We're to have a burden for the world, but we're not to be like the world. Verse 27. We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice the Lord our God as He has commanded us. He said, you know what? We are not going to compromise our faith. We're not going to do what the world tells us to do. We're going to do what God tells us to do. Amen? 
We're going to honor God above men. We're not going to take a popular vote. What do men think? How many, how many think we ought to do that? Okay, they didn't do that. No voting. God said, that's it. You plus God is the majority. Amen? If God tells you to do something, you'll be obedient to Him. Nobody else wants to go. Go alone. But you be faithful to what God has called you to do. Verse 28. So Pharaoh said, I'll let you go, that you may sacrifice the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. Intercede for me. He still just says, man, I don't want you to be totally so... You know, guys, you can go a little bit out of the way, but you don't go too far. Again, it's the world telling us, don't get too radical. Stay close. Stay convenient. You know, God keep us from a convenient Christianity. I'll serve you, Lord, as long as it fits into my schedule. Right? You know, Lord, I, I got, you know, I got, I got, I got my, my sport. I got to work out. You know, I got my job. I got this. I got that. You know, I got my five favorite TV shows I don't want to miss. You know, Lord, if you want to fit it into that schedule somewhere, you want to cut an hour out, you know, Tuesdays between 8 and 9, I can give you that. You know, sometimes that's what we want. We want, a, we want a Christianity of convenience. Well, you know, the church is moving from the vet's hall. Oh, that's going to be another three miles to go to church. Oh, I ain't going there no more. That's just not convenient, right? And sometimes we get that way. People are more concerned with how it's going to infringe on their time. Oh, man, but that, you know, the men's studies at 7 a.m.? Oh, man, I can't go to that. It's too early. We should not have a Christianity of convenience. Amen? You know, aren't you glad that, that our Savior didn't come and live a life of convenience, but He lived a life set apart, sold out, and suffered and died that we might have eternal life? Amen? And should we not die for Him, deny our flesh, take up the cross, and follow Him the way He died for us? Amen? Shouldn't our focus in life be serving Him, honoring Him? Lord, help us not live a Christianity of convenience. Let's finish up. Verse 29. Then Moses said, Indeed, I am going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore in letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses agrees to go out and to free them from the flies. But I love what he does here. He does two things. He says, I'm going to prayerfully intercede on your behalf. But then he exhorts him and says, But don't you deny the Lord one more time. You know what, that's an example of what we ought to do when we share our faith. We need to pray for people that their hearts would be softened, and then we need to exhort them from the Word of God. Amen? If we only pray and we don't exhort them, they need to hear the Word. Amen? And if we only share the Word and we're not praying for them to have softened hearts, they're not going to receive the Word. And we need to do both. It's the same thing that Moses did here. Verse 30. So Moses went from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people, and no one remained. Not one remained. When God heals somebody or frees somebody, He frees them completely. Not one fly was left. They're all gone. Why? Because God's in charge. Amen? The world does it halfway, part of the way, some of the way. God does it all of the way. Verse 32. And how did Pharaoh respond? But Pharaoh hardened his heart. At this time also, neither would he let the people go. It's interesting Here's Moses, commanded him to be faithful to his word, and he didn't do it. He continues to harden his heart. He continues to turn his back on God. And some people look at this, and they look at the hard heart of Pharaoh, which is true, but I also look at the grace of God. Because God keeps giving Pharaoh yet another chance, and another chance, and another chance, and another chance to know about the true and the living God. If the worship team would come back up, we're going to close the song. But let me just go over and review what we talked about tonight. Tonight we saw God's divine judgment upon a hardened heart opportunities for repentance first we saw in the plague of, of frogs we saw that one that once a pleasure to them what was once a pleasure to them became a plague 
what at one point had been a great joy to them became a plague to their life. Why? Because it got out of hand. And it grew to the point of becoming a plague. Sin always starts small, and before you know it, it's destroying your life. The third plague we saw was lice. We saw that no matter how diligent man attempts it, he cannot make himself clean. Physical impossibility. Only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ can we be made clean. Amen? And then fourthly, we saw the plague of flies. We saw that only when we truly serve God, to truly serve God, that we must separate ourselves from the world. We're not called to be in the world, but we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. We're called to be set apart. That's what sanctification means. Being set apart to God, set apart from the world. We're here to minister to the world, but not to fellowship with the world. Amen? And you know what? Again, should we have a supernatural love for the lost? Absolutely. Should our hearts be broken when we know the people around us are, are, don't know the Lord? Absolutely. Do we, should we look at that as a divine appointment, opportunity to share our faith? Absolutely. But should that be the place where we get our fellowship? Absolutely not. The Bible says bad company corrupts good morals every single time. Look, at the, look around when you're in trouble and look who you're hanging out with. Amen? Look around with the wrong people. You get, your heart gets in the wrong place. Your motives change. I can go away to a sales awards thing and they're talking, you know, they'll bring you up and, and give you all these accolades. And for even just a second, you start to, you start to get sucked into it. Oh, you're so wonderful. You're such a great sale. Oh, man, you're the, you know, oh, yeah. And you, after a while, oh, yeah. You know? And you just think about it for a second, and people are clapping, and you got a tux on, your name's up on the thing, and they're giving you awards and money and trips. And you're like, wow. And you know what? Even for one second, you can fall into that trap. Why? Because we're not to have fellowship with the world. Amen? We're not to seek our satisfaction from the world, but from the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, that the Lord, in the midst of what were plagues, you were using that as an opportunity for, for man to turn to you. And in the difficulties of life of the people that are all around us, Father God, we know that you're using that as opportunities to draw people unto yourself. Father, I pray as we go through trials in our own life that we would realize, Lord, you're using it to conform us to your image, to make us more like you. And make us, like James said, help us to count it all joy when we fall into various trials. Knowing, Lord, that, that without a test there can be no testimony. Father, we just thank you. We praise you, Lord, for your love, for your grace. We pray, Lord, for opportunities to share our faith. We pray, Lord, you'd help us, Father God, to be in the world but not of the world, to have a burden for the lost. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.